0: Well today is the last Sunday of Advent. The four weeks of expectant waiting to celebrate the coming of Jesus is over. Now for children the anticipation has been building each week since Halloween. (laughs) They have been pouring over Christmas catalogs that come every other week. This year I decided to collect every catalog that came just to see how much it weighed before I recycled it. It's going to take two trips to get to the garage, stack upon stack. And so I think the intensity of the choices has particularly impacted one of our grandchildren, Jude, age eight. In his official letter to Santa, he boldly declared himself nice, not naughty, which I thought was a bit of a stretch. And then he made out a very modest list. I was stunned. Number one, race car Legos. Okay. Number two, Star Wars Storm Trooper. Number three and four, some clothes. And number five was gummy bears, that's it. And so he wrote, I had a hard time coming up with other ideas. And he finished with this. Put my presents in the front row, please. <laughs> now, I'm gonna to talk to my daughter about that. I didn't know they had rows around the tree. <laughs> He's in the front row this year. But let's be honest about Christmas. Children of that age are not waiting for what we call the incarnation. They are waiting to wake up tomorrow into a morning of wonders, fulfilling months of longing. And I would say to you that from our vantage point as adults, life in 2023 with as many dangers and challenges has made waiting very difficult. We too often, I know this is true for me, we wait for the phone to ring with news that can shift the earth beneath our feet. And yet, just like the children, we, I, long for happiness, even if it's not my own. Which is why I believe in most families on Christmas morning, there are what I call staging rules. The young children must stay in their beds until a certain time. Got it right? Or on the steps or down the hallway until the adults are in place. And then when everything is ready, the children explode into the Christmas room. Where mom and dad and maybe grandma and grandpa and aunts and uncles and older adults are waiting to see the joy on their faces. And to hear their screams of delight. It's a rare moment of pleasure. Worth waiting for. But think about waiting, from God's point of view. The Bible reveals a God who has incredible patience. Eons of time passed before the Son of God came to save us. Now go back on the first Sunday of Advent. We learned that Jesus is the creator, which means before time began, Jesus was in the workshop of heaven preparing for creation. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, one of the most amazing verses in the Bible, listen to what Paul wrote. He wrote, for by him, that is Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on the earth, visible and invisible. Astronomers measure the distance and the velocity of galaxies by deep surveys. They calculate the expansion rate of the universe by examining the light spectrum and the decay rate of radioactive elements in the stars. Then they rewind cosmic time to find the age of the universe, estimated to be 13.7 billion years old. A number beyond comprehension. They may or may, they may not be right. But 3,000 years ago, I can wrap my arms around 3,000 years, a young shepherd inspired by the majesty and the glory of the night sky wrote this. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims the work of his hands. On a clear night in December and January, I turn on Starwatch, an app on my phone. I find out what's in the night sky. And I shout to Becky, Honey, 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 come downstairs. Let's go outside and look together, either on the deck or in the front yard. Jupiter, Uranus. Saturn and the moon. It's why we love to sing at Christmas, joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And then this, and heaven and nature sing, and heaven and nature sing, and heaven and heaven and nature sing. On the second Sunday of Advent, we learn that Jesus is the ultimate prophet. There were many prophets in the history of Israel who spoke for God. That's the definition. They speak the words of God. But the greatest, the most privileged, was John the Baptist. He prepared the way for Jesus, saying, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. I baptize you with water. He's in the Jordan with water for repentance. But he who is coming, he is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to even carry. And on that fateful day, when John was doing his duty, baptizing, 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 the Spirit prompted him to look up. And there he was. There he was, the creator of the universe, the ultimate prophet. Behold, there he is, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Matthew tells us that when Jesus went up from the water, the Spirit came upon him like a dove, and a voice was heard from heaven. This is my beloved Son. With him I am well pleased. For all to hear, the Father declared His divine pleasure. The set time had fully come, the Apostle Paul would write. God has sent His Son. And the word became flesh, John wrote, and made His dwelling among us. We have seen it. I was there. We've seen His glory. The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So we've learned that Jesus, the eternal Son of God, is the creator and the ultimate prophet. And on the third Sunday, we learned that Jesus is our great high priest. Now go back in time. It's recorded in the first book of the Bible in Genesis. When Adam and Eve broke faith with their creator and believed the lies of the serpent, sin came into the world which immediately created a barrier between God, who is holy, and every human soul. And that chasm is so great that no bridge can be made to cross it. Not the bridge of religion, not the bridge of morality, not the bridge of intellect, not the bridge of generosity. So what did God do? Listen to Hebrews chapter 7, 26 and 27. For it was indeed fitting That we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests of the world, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins, and then for those of the people. Since he did this once for all, when he offered himself. Think of that phrase. He offered himself. Nobody takes the life of God. He walked willingly. You can't touch me. You can't touch me until the fateful hour. And then he said, it is finished. Satan's ultimate weapon has always been our sin. That's what he holds against us. But Jesus' death on the cross on that day destroyed it. Our salvation, therefore, is secure. Thanks be to God. When we were utterly helpless, Paul wrote, Christ came at just the right time and died for sinners. Nails, spear pierced him through the cross he bore for me, for you. Hail, hail, the word made flesh, the babe the son of Mary. He's creator, prophet, and priest. And today we learn that Jesus is the king who leads us all to final victory. Jesus' character, his authority, and his power are different from every leader and from every system that ever ruled on planet Earth. The rulers of humanity have used power mostly for gain, their own gain. And sadly, very few of the kings of Israel serve God with an undivided heart. But there was one who was called a man after God's own heart. Turn with me to Luke chapter 1. This is our passage for today. I'm reading verses 26 the 33. Luke, the physician and the historian, wrote this. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, And you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. When Luke wrote these words, go back 2,000 years, the people of Israel were desperate for freedom and dignity. For centuries they had suffered under the heavy hand of Rome yearning for a warrior king who could make Israel great again. But the words of Gabriel to Mary allude to a very different kingship. Luke wrote, he will be called great, the words of Gabriel and called the son, the son that's in caps of the most high and he will legally govern in the lineage of David and he will, I quote, reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom, there will be no end. Absolute power. Power. Forever, in the hands of a man, who could do this? Who could do this? Her mind was ready to burst. Amazingly, this servant king was described 700 years before he came. The most prolific prophet about the Messiah is Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 11, we read that the Holy Spirit gifted him with what I quote, wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. In Isaiah 42, which was our call for worship, the prophet wrote, he will not falter or be discouraged until he brings justice to the nations and opens the eyes of the blind and delivers those held captive in prison. In Isaiah 49, he is a light for the nations. In Isaiah 50, we begin to see the suffering he must endure. But the Mount Everest is Isaiah 53. Looking back, there we see him, the sacrifice for sin. But at such a cost, he was pierced. For our transgressions, Isaiah wrote. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. I believe that when he wrote Isaiah 53, he stepped back. He shook his head. As has Israel for 2,700 years. This cannot be the Messiah promised by God. Not possible. But it is, it is him. And can we imagine the disobedience, the atrocities, the corruption, the violence, the fear, and the loneliness he has witnessed over time? As our great high priest, he understands our weakness, the writer of Hebrews said, for he faced all of the same temptations as we do, yet he did not ever sin. But as the divine king, all that he has seen, he can do something about it. He has defeated the demons. He has healed the sick. He has raised the dead. For he is the eternal son of God. The great American poet, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, 1807 to 1882, wrote the song that B. Sterling sang. Originally, it was written as a poem called Christmas Bells, and he wrote it on Christmas Day in 1863 when he was emotionally paralyzed by misery and sorrow. The lyrics of this great song are a lament for the death of his wife and the national despair of civil war that paralyzed by a bullet his oldest son on the battlefield. Longfellow would later write that he was inspired by remembering Isaiah 9-6. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and this stood out, Prince of peace, Prince of Peace. He was also inspired on the day by the sound of Christmas bells in the hometown, in his hometown of Cambridge, Massachusetts, while listening to a choir saying, Peace on earth, goodwill to men. Peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair, he wrote, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth. I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men, as it does today. Even again today, I opened the paper and I looked at the headlines. Death, disease, everywhere, north, south, east, and west. But then the Spirit of God broke through the heart of the poet. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail with peace on earth. Good will to men. Micah, one of the last Old Testament prophets, wrote about the coming king five centuries before he came. And he wrote this, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. And so we wait. We wait for it. For our creator, the prophet, priest, and king to set This world right. The apostle Peter wrote about his master's patience and long suffering. He wrote this. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. How is your heart today? Are you close or are you far away? Are you embracing the uncertainty knowing that Christ is on the throne? As the new year approaches, we must cling to hope, knowing that Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time not to deal with sin but to save those who are eagerly, eagerly waiting for him. One of these days, the Bible tells us that lightning will fall from the sky and the rising sun will be seen by the naked eye and the eternal Son of God will appear in the clouds with his mighty angels in flaming fire, and we will see him clearly. Imagine on that banner behind me that Jesus is rising with the sun. On that day, John wrote from the vision of Revelation, from his mouth shall come a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, He will tread the wine press of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty on his robe and on his thigh. He has his name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And so in one month, we have learned that Jesus, the eternal Son of God, Creator, Prophet, Priest, and King, has come. And he will come again. And our closing song, which was written as an Advent song, celebrates his return. Let's stand and sing together to thee we run.